In my last episode, I talked a lot about the progress of humanity and how our own cleverness has placed our planetary life support system in jeopardy. And while we were moving along in life congratulating ourselves on our achievements, we forgot to balance the budget. Unfortunately, there are a lot of very smart people these days that have long since realized this and have found a way to restore the environment to more of a natural state. And this is something that will not happen overnight, of course, but it is a fantastic step forward. And if you want to know more, then listen to this episode, which is called Real World Ecological Recovery. Welcome to the Adventures in Sustainable Living podcast. Your host has lived an off-grid, sustainable lifestyle for over 20 years. His homestead is run on solar energy. He has an earth shelter greenhouse and produces much of his own food. And all of this takes place in the middle of the forest in Colorado. Now, let's join Patrick, the man that not only teaches the skills of sustainable living, but lives that life every day. Welcome back, everyone, to the Adventures in Sustainable Living podcast. This is your host, Patrick, and this is episode 106, which is called Real World Ecological Recovery. Now, with all the research and reading that I do on the topic of sustainability, I'm always so happy when I come across people and organizations that are producing real results in real time and taking a substantial step forward for sustainability and that is truly the focus of this episode and in my opinion we too often overlook the fact that our progress comes at a cost we now run the risk of losing everything that we have gained unless we reverse course and take substantial steps to balance our ecological budget. So in this episode, I want to discuss several different things, of course. And the first thing I want to talk about is how a huge portion of our natural habitat in many countries around the world just simply no longer exists. And a large percentage of native forests have been completely destroyed. This has come to the attention of a lot of organizations and some of which have been making substantial progress toward restoring those habitats on a wild scale through a process called rewilding. Then I want to discuss the country of Scotland, which may quite possibly be the first rewilded country in the world. The things going on in that country are a prime example of just what we are capable of if we set our minds to it. And then I want to talk about the reasons for rewilding, some of the controversy behind it, of course. And finally, I want to share a couple of success stories to show you that as improbable as this process may seem, it truly is possible. In my last episode, I talked a, lot, a little bit about how I grew up in Tennessee and Georgia 
as well as places in Colorado where I have spent a considerable amount of time as an adult. And in both of those places, I have seen firsthand all the changes that have come about as the result of progress. But progress is always a mixed bag, as you probably know. There's a little bit of good and a little bit of bad. C.S. Lewis, who is a well-known British writer, once said that we all want progress, but if you're on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking to the right road. So whenever I see expanding urban development, I'm always very thankful because of where I live. I have owned this parcel of land for 26 years, and although there are two cabins, a solar array, a storage shed, a woodshed, a chicken barn, and a greenhouse, 90% of that property remains in exactly the same condition as it was when I purchased the land 26 years ago. I see a wide variety of wildlife such as deer, elk, moose, mountain lion, bear, bighorn sheep, bobcat, foxes, grouse, hawks, eagles, as well as many other things. And although the two large parcels of land around me have sold and now have people living on them full time, I still hear no man-made sound 95% of the time. And at least for me, I can honestly say that the progress I have made on this property has resulted in very little ecological impact. And not only that, everything that I have is run off of one solar array and in some small way, I can at least feel as if I am doing my part. Now, certainly, considering the condition of our world these days from an ecological perspective, today's generations can easily say, well, I had nothing to do with all the environmental destruction that has gone on for centuries. And while this may be true, we must also realize that, yes, we have to bear the brunt of that responsibility and we have to do something about it. Because our never-ending cycle of take, make, dispose has gone on for so long simply because for centuries it was beyond our comprehension that humanity could actually have a negative impact on the oceans, the atmosphere, and the global ecosystem because we simply viewed it as a vast and limitless resource. It truly has only been in the last 40 to 50 years that we have realized that nature is truly vulnerable to our clever ingenuity and technological greatness. But now that we have come to the realization, we are responsible for doing something about it. And fortunately, there are some very smart people out there that have figured this out. People are finally starting to use their knowledge and skills in order to restore significant areas of land back to its natural state by reintroducing native plant and animal species. And this fantastic process 
is called rewilding. Now, I have only become familiar with this concept in the last year, but rewilding is just, a, I guess, a different term for ecological restoration. But when I really thought about it, it, it excited me. What excited me the most was simply the enormous possibilities associated with this process and the sheer irony of our situation. So think of it this way. Since the year 1600, nearly 90% of the virgin forest that once covered the United States has now been destroyed. And presently, only 50% of Australia's forest and bushland remain intact, and in Europe, 50% of the national forests are now gone. And while it's truly sad, what we have done and the amount of damage that we have caused, we have the ability to turn this around into a fantastic opportunity. So there is a trend in our culture, at least in the United States, that I find very interesting. Because it's, it's just yet another example of why I do not pay a lot of attention to popular culture because the pendulum of popularity seems to swing back and forth. So why do I bring this up? During the early expansion of the United States, people and companies were scrambling to snatch up any land they could find, any available natural resource. This went on until the U.S. Census Bureau officially closed the western frontier in 1890 and this was because all the land was essentially taken. Now here we are 130 years later and no one wants to live out in the countryside anymore. Because our societal trend at this point is toward urbanization. Globally approximately 50% of people live in urban areas and in the United States, that is as much as 80%. And in my mind, what that means is there is a significant amount of land out there that could be returned to its natural state, since apparently no one wants to be out there anymore. And I often wonder if anyone other than me actually thinks of it this way. So here's a question that I have. What if we, that meaning our society as a whole, decided to return huge portions of this land to its natural state in a process that is called rewilding? What would that be like? And how would that actually happen? Very simply put, rewilding is a very comprehensive often very large-scale conservation effort that focuses on restoring sustainable biodiversity and balancing the health of an ecosystem. And this is accomplished by protecting core wilderness areas, by providing connectivity between such areas, and reintroducing apex predators and keystone species. And now, if you're not familiar with these terms, an apex predator is simply one that is at the top of the food chain. It's a predator that basically has no competition. So think in terms of 
sharks, and wolves would probably be considered an apex predator. A keystone species is any species that essentially holds an ecosystem together and enables it to function as a whole. For example, bees are an all-important keystone species because of the functions that they perform. So that's just really to just give you a couple of quick examples of those types of species. So if we go down this road of rewilding, then what are the necessary steps that we have to take? So really and truly before we start this whole process, it has to be determined what habitats are actually present and what species are present. And we also have to assess the general health of any given ecosystem and it has to be determined if there are any wildlife corridors present, meaning species um, species can travel from one wildlife area or one protected area to another, basically being unmolested by humanity. But we also have to see if there are species that have been eradicated and ones that need to be reintroduced. And of course, we have to look at the history of the land and that has to be investigated as well as ownership and any political situations that may affect the rewilding process. Now, while these concepts are probably very easy to sit at home and conceptualize these things, it actually is a very complicated process. So what I want to do is to just give you some real life examples of what is actually possible and what I want to do is to use Scotland as a prime example because there is an enormous rewilding movement that's already into play in that country. And this is truly a perfect example of what we can do when we set our minds to it. Much like many other places on the planet, Scotland used to be a completely different place. Much of the land was previously covered in forest, and the Romans even gave it the name Caledonia, which means wooded heights. There were aspen, juniper, birch, rowan, and pine that created a vast forest. And even at the end of the last ice age, the highland tiger, wolf, lynx, and bear freely roamed in these forests. There used to be even rainforest on the west coast, which had a spectacular habitat of oak and birch with lush meadows, wetlands, peat bogs, and vibrant coastal habitats. But over the course of several centuries, the ecosystems in Scotland were slowly changed, and today Scotland only has 4 to 5% of its native forest cover. It's the result of deforestation, overgrazing, and climate change which has slowly taken its toll. Even in the 1700s, widespread sport shooting and sheep overgrazing were beginning to leave a lasting impression. And the impact of regular burning and overgrazing prevented the woodlands from naturally regenerating, and this simply led to soil erosion, soil acidification, flooding, 
and loss of biodiversity. And although in recent years, the number of sheep in Scotland have dramatically gone down, there are plenty of other overgrazing animals to take their place. Because both native and non-native species of deer are overabundant simply due to the lack of any sort of natural predators such as bear, lynx, and wolves. And unfortunately, this does present a major ecological problem because deer overpopulation limits ecological regeneration in every single part of the country. And the only true controls that are in place are winter mortality and shooting them, and this is simply not enough. People are finally starting to take note of the extensive nature of our environmental changes. And in fact, in 2019, the State of Nature Report, which ranks the condition of nature in 2018 countries, ranked Britain as being number 189. But to the average eye, Scotland is, no doubt, a very beautiful country, but there is almost a complete lack of any sort of complex, interactive woodland ecosystems and cornerstone species such as large predators simply no longer exist. But despite all the pressures from humanity, changes for the good are starting to take hold and progress is being made on many, many levels. Because baby Scott Pines are making a comeback and populations of rare species such as pine martens and red squirrels are beginning to grow. And even some species of rare wildflowers are making a comeback. And you know, no one is really sure when the rewilding process of Scotland began, but one thing is certain is that there are several key factors that have influenced the beginning of this enormous trend. And the most notable motivating factor for the rewilding in Scotland is simply to help reverse the effects of climate change. Because it is well known scientific knowledge that forest and peat bogs are an enormous carbon sink, and by replanting forest and re-wetting peat bogs, the country restores an enormous ecological asset. Because years ago, many peat bogs were drained in order to use the land for commercial conifer production, and that no longer being the case, but there is now an enormous resource here that can be restored and reclaimed. And even developing a refuge for wildlife is another reason for rewilding of Scotland. Because this country is actually a stronghold for several rare species that have long been absent from England, Wales, and Ireland. Even some species of wildcat that have long been lost to the rest of the United Kingdom still survive in small groups in some remote regions of Scotland. And another important reason for rewilding Scotland is to reconnect people with nature. Because believe it or not, restoring the environment does not necessarily mean removing all the people, 
We just have to learn to respect what we have. But Scotland also has what is known as the right to roam law. And since most of Scotland is owned by only a handful of people, this law gives people the right of access to most privately owned land as long as they respect it. And this allows everyone to enjoy the outdoors and reconnect with the natural world. And this is extremely important because all of us will take steps to protect what we love. But now, I must say at this point that despite how good all of this sounds, this whole rewilding process is not without some considerable controversy. People, of course, are afraid of the reintroduction of large predators, such as the lynx, bear, and wolves. And at the top of the list of those people opposing this, of course, are farmers due to the potential threat to their lifestyle. But advocates for such reintroductions argue directly for creating an ecological balance. The already overabundance of deer is causing tremendous ecological pressure, and key predators would help to bring that into balance due to direct predation. And there is no doubt that this will be an ongoing argument due to the potential unpredictable effects on the ecosystem, just as when wolves were reintroduced to Yellowstone National Park. And another big controversy, believe it or not, is the lowly beaver. These animals were actually the United Kingdom's first authorized mammal reintroduction. And since then, there's been some controversy over flooding and damage to farmland and some animals have consequently been culled and relocated. But while the presence of beavers may occasionally cause some problems, the benefits of their presence far outweighs anything else. Because due to the dams that they build, they greatly impact local ecosystems, creating new habitats for numerous species, and they are also beneficial for flood control. And yet another controversy over rewilding comes with a huge debate over land use because some folks are concerned that taking up usable farmland can potentially impact their food security. But there are some experts that are quick to shoot down that argument, pointing to the fact that we have new intensive farming methods so that we can produce more food on less land so that this is even less of a concern. But as is usually the case with any sort of ecological project, there is always going to be controversy. But I just think it is interesting that there never seemed to be any controversy when the land was being used and abused for a profit. But now that people want to restore it, there is tremendous resistance. So in the end, I think we just have to accept the fact that we have to pay the price for all of those years of abuse if we truly want to be part of the long-term plan for this planet. So now that we have covered the reasons for rewilding and the controversy behind it, 
then let's move on to some examples of some real life successes. Scotland is now the proud home of the Dendragon Rewilding Center. And this is a 10,000 acre estate that is owned by the nonprofit Trees for Life. This was sort of their first premier project and it is designed to encourage visitors to just see nature in a little bit of a different way. And this landscape is now home to 4,000 native species of plant and animals. And some of these species include the roe deer, the mountain hare, otter, and black grouse. And the purpose of the center is to immerse visitors in nature and perhaps encourage people to start thinking differently about nature once they go back home. And then there is the Carngorns Connect project. And this project is a 232 square mile plateau in Carngorms National Park. And this is actually a multi-landowner enterprise and they have a 200 year plan to restore rivers and reseed the Caledonian forests. And next year, the Royal Zoological Society of Scotland will be reintroducing 20 wildcats. And then there is the Alladale Wilderness Reserve in Sutherland, which is a 23,000 acre reserve where visitors can drive to the end of the road and reconnect with nature. And one of my favorite little projects, of course, is the Sea Wilding, which is a community-led project with the focus on restoring marine habitats. And their present objective is to grow 1 million juvenile oysters and plant up to 80 hectares of seagrass as a substrate to support a variety of species. So at this point, let's just take a quick step back and consider all that we have discussed. So in the beginning of this episode, I shared a little bit about the success that I've had in preserving my own property. And as a result, I see much more wildlife than I do people. But unfortunately, this is not very commonplace. So what is more common is to see an almost total destruction of natural habitats that have been in place for thousands of years. So for example, virtually 90% of the virgin forest in the United States have been destroyed. So there's obviously a tremendous need for us to restore some of that ecological balance. And while I do find our trend toward urbanization a bit unusual, I also see it as a tremendous opportunity. Because at this point, virtually 80% of our national population lives on less than 20% of the landmass in our entire country. So what this does is it leaves a tremendous amount of open space that can be returned to its natural state. And much like a tiny little community in Japan that showed us all how to go waste free, the country of Scotland is an example to the world of just what can be done. Their tremendous rewilding projects are restoring hundreds of thousands of acres and consequently 
it is one small step to fight against climate change and these places are becoming strongholds for wildlife and people are reconnecting with nature and learning the value of the natural world. But such things, of course, are not without some fierce conflict. But this whole process is simply an example of what mutual cooperation between government and individuals can actually accomplish. And Scotland is simply a shining example of just what can actually be done. And while going, what is going on in Scotland is truly tremendous, each and every one of us can also take a part in environmental restoration. We can take a part in volunteer programs, we can donate to nonprofit organizations, and we can certainly talk to friends and family and co-workers and spread the word about environmental restoration. And even if you own just a small little bit of land, I would encourage you to leave part of it in a completely wild state that can be a refuge for native plants and animals. So I truly hope that once again, I have made you think a little bit more about what you do every day and how you live. Because it is possible to make a huge difference only by making small changes in our lives. Now, I want to close out this episode by giving you a little bit of a different approach to sustainability. Rudyard Kipling once said, I keep six honest men, I keep six honest serving men. They taught me all I knew. Their names were what and where and when and how and why and who. So from now on, I think this is a fantastic method to approach the way in which we utilize any sort of a natural resource. Because if we simply ask what, where, when, how, why, and who, before we take that first step, perhaps we will make better decisions and use our limited resources in a wiser manner. And perhaps when we finally start to question some long-standing norms, we will start to see the value of simply leaving something alone. And perhaps instead of reaching to tear something down and take advantage of that resource, we will simply post a sign that says, kindly do not touch, then turn and walk away. This is your host, Patrick, signing off until next week. Always remember to live sustainably, because this is how we build a better future.